Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Excited to be with everybody here on this Wednesday. Here's what I've got for you on this episode of the podcast. First off, Terry McLaurin, you know him. Many of you do love him. Uh, I caught up with Terry on clean-out day for the Commanders um, when the season ended. I'm going to share a, a few minutes of that, just a brief conversation, but touched on the season, the, the frustration, where things are, where things can go with him, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dodson, and a bunch more. Also, his con- the concentration of quarterback, how does that weigh on him? How does he persevere through that? Uh, brief conversation, but an insightful one with Terry McLaurin. I'll get to that here in a moment. In addition to that, uh, you know, there's some news in the air about the offensive coordinator search. Uh, just today, it was announced that Ken Zampezi will be uh, w- was interviewed today. Uh, who are the candidates? What do we make of them right now? What's the latest with the ownership search? Uh, are we do we believe Jeff Bezos is definitely out? Is he still a front runner? What do we make of some of the other candidates? Uh, get to all that and the Sam Howell of it all, and what do we make of the proclamation that he could be QB one? We'll we'll talk about that. We just uh, I just had a conversation with my guy Mike Smeltz, who is uh, lead of our uh, audio department here at the Athletic, but he is uh, more importantly for this conversation a DC area guy and a Commanders fan. So he brought that perspective. You've heard Mike on this podcast before; he's a sharp guy. Uh, so that was a fun chat. We'll get to that after the Terry conversation here on the podcast which you can of course find on itunes spotify or listen on the athletic ad free you can follow me on twitter at ben standing and of course read my work on the athletic new story up today about um dane brugler our nfl draft insider he up he put forth his first two-round mock draft for 2023 i was tasked with giving my analysis of what he did for washington's First two picks, uh, one on each side of the ball was a good way to sort of get into the needs of this team and and even looking ahead beyond 2023, because sometimes the draft isn't just about this year. It's obviously about the long term. So you can check that out on The Athletic. If you missed it, I also had a huge notebook out on uh, Monday. Topics in there included why the term budget is getting used for the first time in the Rivera era, or maybe really in the whole Snyder era. Uh, what does that mean for what Washington can or can't do this off season? Also discussed um, what Scott Turner thought of the Carson Wentz trade uh, at the time. What um, w- What's going on with Cam Curl? Why is Ron Rivera hesitant to talk about Cam Curl situation? And does it even matter? Uh, all that and more. You can check that out as well, um, don't have much else to say right now. Um, other than as I mentioned, Ken Zampezi was uh, interviewed today by the team. Not a surprise. We 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 knew they they would take a look at some point um, at an internal candidate, and Zampezi was the one that would be uh, interviewed. You know, look, it, it wouldn't be the sexiest hire of all, to say the least. Uh, but if you want, you know, if you want to have some level of continuity, but you just felt another voice needed to be you know, directing the offense, 
then there could be some merit in that. Uh, Zampezi has been a coordinator before, but it was really a rough road with Cincinnati. He was out after two years. So um, Mike and I get into a bunch of this, but that was the news of the day. We're still waiting to hear about some other interviews. Charles London, the quarterback coach with the Falcons, he will be interviewed as well. Other names that we'll get into uh, have yet to line up interviews as far as I'm aware of. So uh, let's get into it. No, no, we don't need to dilly-dally here. We'll start with my conversation with Terry McLaurin, and then we'll get into my conversation with Mike Smeltz here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Walking off that field yesterday, does it feel more – did it feel more – Hopeful, more things to go, more frustrating because of what maybe you couldn't you couldn't pull off during the year. Uh, I think uh, you know I try to look at things in totality, but like the first thing that always comes to mind is are we in the playoffs and we're not? Are, are we in the playoffs or are we not and we're not? You know what I mean? I think that's the the thing I think about the most because it'd be different if you kind of have a lost season. You know what I mean? You knew you were out the playoffs, but you know we had opportunity pretty early towards the end of the season to get in the playoffs and we didn't execute like the way we wanted to. So that's extremely disappointing because, you know, we set out each year to win the division, make the playoffs, and hopefully win the Super Bowl. And so when you don't do that, that's it's extremely disappointing, especially if you're a competitor. Um, so walking off that field yesterday, I definitely felt that disappointment. But also, um, you know, there was a sense of pride because Dallas coming in there yesterday, they were playing for, you know, they were playing a meaningful game. <laughs> And uh, we didn't lay down, and uh, we we competed at a, at a high level, and uh, you know we show we have some some guys that can possibly help us in the future as well. So I think that's exciting. Um, obviously, you and Sam had a good connection yesterday, yeah. even with that with limited work. Mm-hmm. He is the umpteenth different quarterback yeah. you've had. We bring this up to you every year. Mm-hmm. I presume we will again. Yeah. You clearly don't seem to. It doesn't matter to you yeah. in terms of like you produce. Right. But. Yeah. Do you think it's, I mean, like, do you yeah. think, like, what the, like, every offseason, yeah. I never know exactly what's going to happen? Yeah, um, you know, I definitely, you never know what's going to happen in the NFL in the offseason. I think there's going to be you know, a lot of changes here, you know, and there's changes throughout the each NFL locker room. But, um, you know, for myself, I think I've gotten comfortable in understanding my, how I need to, um, approach things and, and present myself each and every year and I think um, you know whoever's back there quarterback I'm gonna have the same approach to support them be somebody appreciate you man good to see you and give them an opportunity to have success because they can trust that I'm gonna get my job done and knowing that I'm gonna uh, be there for them and so you know obviously you know you, you want somebody who's gonna be there for 17 games and more and you know hopefully we have that at some point but I think for me my mentality doesn't change and you know, unfortunately, but fortunately enough, I've, I've come uh, comfortable with um, whatever happens with that position, you know, and um, I think um, I just try to have that approach each and, each and every time and not really worry about who's going to be back there, but how can I be my best self for them, whoever's back there. What, what's, what's next for you? Like, do you yeah. Will you get to a point this offseason or maybe you're already there? Like, because it feels like every year you're like, okay, this yeah. I'm going to be doing yeah. different on the field, maybe even right. off the field. Have you figured out yet what right. the next thing is? Or Yeah, not quite. Uh, you know, I was just saying that a few minutes ago. Um, you know, I, I try to take some time just to rest and, and things of that nature, and I'll get to talk to Drew and Coach Rivera and, you know, hear their thoughts on how they feel like and, you know, elevate it and develop even more. And then, you know, my own self-evaluation, I know I have a time where I can dissect my game, possibly look at some film and see how I can come back stronger because um, just because I had a successful year 
this year. I know I said it last year, but it's, I genuinely do believe that just because I was successful this year and I had 1,000 yards doesn't guarantee this year I will have that next year. And the more time that goes on, um, I know there's there's more film that's out on my on me, and um, I'm gonna continue to get the number one corners and possibly shaded coverages, and so uh, I have to figure out ways to continue to get better if I want to uh, be who I need to be, not only for myself but for this team. Um, you and Curtis and Jahan, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, what does that? I mean, I don't know. What did you think of that? Obviously, yeah. to get two, for you also, yeah. almost like having two new guys yeah. coming. What do you think? Yeah. How did you think it went? And what is yeah. what do you think the future is for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in my four years, that this is probably the most cohesive group that I've had, receivers as a whole. But you're talking about the three main guys, me, Curtis, and Jahan, I think we um, show how versatile our group can be. I think uh, we all have the ability to play all three of the positions if asked or called upon. Um, you know, we could make plays down the field, run after catch, short area, uh, crossing routes. So um, I think we have a very dynamic group uh, with us three, and we're still, you know, relatively young. And, and developing and just waiting on a guy we can really get consistent connection with. And so, um, you know, I'm excited to see how we continue to grow. You know what I mean? I'm assuming definitely Curtis will be back next year and Jahan is still on his rookie deal and I'll be back next year. So um, I'm excited to see how we, we get better in year two, honestly. And, uh, um, you know, I think I think it's fun because uh, we're, we're a group of guys who don't care who get the credit. It's very unselfish. I think that's why you see uh, the success that we're having because there's nobody really just clamoring for the ball. Like we all want the ball, we want to all want to make plays, but it's not like you know how our position gets that stigma, and uh, we don't have that in this room from anyone. And I think that's what made coming to work so so much fun each and every day, no matter what was going on, because you enjoyed the guys you were playing with, and everybody was just happy for one another. All right, uh, great stuff there from Terry McLaurin. Per usual. Uh, now, as I mentioned, Mike Smeltz and I will, will talk offensive coordinator, Sam Howe, ownership uh, reports. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right. Uh, joining the podcast. It's been a minute since we've had him on. Our guy, Mike Smeltz, who does a great job on the audio team with the athletic is that the right thing, term the audio team i don't even know yeah yeah i mean anything audible sound uh sound waves i i control them all so yeah that's uh i don't you know yeah we actually do have an nfl project i can't talk about it yet but it's coming out uh in a month and that's what i was working on before i came on with you it's very good and jason wright and ron rivera are in it uh it has nothing to do with dan snyder technically so, so it's not commanders based, but people with the commanders are in in there. Jason Wright was very. I'm sure people aren't surprised. He was very impressive um, hearing him speak. So was Ron, but and also Doug Williams is in it, and Doug was great. Doug was um, <clears throat> learning about Doug's past a little bit. Um, him talking about growing up in Louisiana. I mean, you know, the guy has lived a very unique life. Uh, and I get, think we kind of like take him for granted because he's Doug Williams. He's always around, but you know, he's a pretty significant figure in football. So, uh, it's, it, when it is ready to be revealed, look for it on the athletic football show. I, I can, that's all I can say right now. Fair enough. I literally, somebody on Twitter today, I guess today, uh, the 18th is the X year anniversary of the NFC championship game when Daryl Green knocked the the, the ball away from Darren Nelson from the Vikings running back Darren Nelson at the goal line in the final seconds of the NFC championship to send Washington to the Super Bowl. 
the one where Doug Williams, you know, has that second quarter uh, of all the all time second quarter. Uh, yes. I, I just enjoyed that. It, it watching those clips reminds <laughs> me, of course, of my 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 youth when I was a fan of this thing, and just how things used to be. Um, you know, not not not, not to uh, <laughs> not not to pour salt in the wounds for for for, for fans like yourself, but you know. Yes. It, it, I don't it, remember those days. I legit, I, I don't. I mean, I what was that? What year was that? Eighty-seven. Uh, wasn't alive, unfortunately. Yeah, no, you guys. Um, I missed guys, it. You guys missed out. But what you haven't missed out on is uh, is the uh, there's a search going on right now yes. for an offensive coordinator. We got a just right before we started here, a new name today. Though not really a new name at all, uh, and that's Washington quarterback. Coach Ken Zampezi is being interviewed today. We knew that he would be a name that would be in in the conversation. Um, you know, makes sense reasonably to somebody on the staff to to be involved. If you just decide, hey, we don't really want to make big changes, we just think you know a, a different voice could be the could be the way to go. That would make some sense. And Ken Zampezi has been an offensive coordinator before, two years with the Bengals in 2016 and 17. He was also fired from that job because things did not go particularly well for them by the end. Some really dubious stats there, uh, but that just happened. He he brings the list of, of OC names to five. Um, I'll, I'll just read them off really quick here. Uh, sources have confirmed and all that stuff. Uh, so Zampezi, Pat Shermer, who's already interviewed for the position, former two-time head coach, offensive coordinator from in many spots over the years. Uh, Charles London, the Falcons quarterback coach, is going to be interviewed. And then they've requested interviews with Dolphins passing game coordinator Daryl Bevel, who used to be the OC for the Seahawks in the Russell Wilson heyday, and uh, Dolphins uh, running back coach. And I believe he's also the associate head coach, uh, Eric Studsville. Those two are at least pending. As far as I know, at this point, they have not been scheduled. So that's where we are on the OC search. Um, Since I haven't talked to you, for for a minute, um, where 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 are you at with the whole, you know, both from like Scott Turner get, moving on from Scott Turner, and then what your hopes and dreams are for uh, for for this spot? Yeah, I've always thought I always thought Scott Turner did a relatively good job with the limited resources that he had, the the lack of quarterback play, the lack of, the lack of dynamic quarterback play, the guys coming in and out of the lineup. I always thought that like his he was able to put together a representative game plan um, with limited talent. I mean, think back particularly when Ron's first year here, how dreadful the weapons were going into that season and them turning Logan Thomas into what Logan Thomas became, them making the offense good enough that they could obviously go to the playoffs and deal with having – at that time, Dwayne and Alex Smith and then Taylor in the playoffs. I always thought Norv, uh, not Norv, that's so funny. Scott did a, did a good job. It makes sense, though, that they're uh, letting him go. My one question, and it's kind of been, seemed to be answered in the reporting. And Ben, I wonder what you think about this. You know, I, I think anyone that decided that Carson Wentz should have been traded for <laughs> had reason to be let go. But it seemed like from the reporting I saw, I forget who it was from, that Scott Turner wasn't a thousand percent on board with Carson Wentz. And I don't know if we'll ever know that. It's a it's Are a you playing with me right now or no? Why? Was it your reporting? Yeah, it was. I, I this week I had that sky according to 
somebody in the know that Scott Turner was not on board with uh with the Carson Wentz uh choice. And I don't know to what degree like it was, you know, you know, banging fists on the table or just like eh, all right, I guess, but I'm not really that into it. Um but that's what I was told and it always did feel like Scott, when he's up there, I presume a lot of people have either seen his press conferences or heard them. You know, he doesn't give us a ton of emotion up there. And uh, so, you know, it's, it, it never felt like he was, like, even with Heineke, to be fair, he never, I mean, he, doesn't, he wasn't always like, wow, this guy is my, you know, the best. But obviously they have a connection. We all get that. It, was, it always felt somewhat awkward or uneasy a little bit with with, uh, with Turner and Wentz. But I don't mean personality-wise. I just mean like, this wasn't necessarily the guy that he that he wanted, and we know how much Rivera was pushing for it. So yes, that that is a thing from what I was told. Right, and so to me that means he should be the only person that should be here if he wasn't for it because he Wentz was such an utter disaster, right? So I don't know. I, I I think I think it it one makes sense from if you are a fan of the NFL and see how desperate coaches act, they fire assistant coaches um, if something goes wrong. Uh, I don't. I just don't think Scott Turner was like the the worst offensive coordinator I've seen in DC. I mean, I think the worst. You know, you could go from anyone where like Zorn was technically kind of. I mean, he called plays right, and then he brought in Sherm Lewis. Was it the bingo caller who was brought uh, in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, there there have been worse within the past twenty years. I think Scott Turner is somewhere within the middle of the pack. Um, the thing that concerns me the most right now, and I, I know a lot of people have said this is like, I don't know how much you, Ben, you're in these uh, Ron Rivera press conferences. So you hear how Ron talks and Ron will seem to answer a question based on the question and kind of adopt the thought within the question a lot of the time. And when him and Martin Mayhew were talking about wanting a running style team, I just that just makes me feel icky and makes it not a very attractive job. It's almost like if you're selling your house and but yet you're going to let's say you live, you know, in Bethesda, right? You live in Bethesda, you're selling your home. Um, that's a market where there's a lot of reconstruction, but yet you're telling all the people that want to buy your house, hey, you can buy this house, but you can't touch it. You can't can't touch the kitchen, you can't touch uh, you know, anything in the home, you can't remodel in any way. I want, when you buy this home, you have to keep it the exact same as it is. I think it's unattractive to, uh, offensive coordinator candidates. If you come out and say, we just want to run the ball because that's not, you know, the, there's offensive philosophies all across the NFL. And so, I just, I, I would be concerned about that, but you know, better than I. Yeah, no, no, you made a lot of good points. So just to go back to Scott Turner for a second, you, you brought up Logan Thomas. I do think we, forget a little bit about that that 2020 class right logan thomas i i didn't particularly find to be a very i wasn't like wow they got logan thomas because he was their projected starting tight end having basically not ever had that role before similar to jd mckissick in that like he was brought in to be the third down passing down running back without much track record and both of them immediately thrived in this offense and to whatever degree you want to give scott turner credit i just just say let's just not act like these guys were proven pieces who came in and like he was lucky to, to have them they were guys that they had to figure out how to use and they did a pretty good job of that 
the first year, not to mention the fact that the like you know the the, the quarterback carousel has been a mess. Other than Terry McLaurin, who was the best receiver on that team, right? Cam Sims was the one who led the team in receiving yards in the playoff game against Tampa. So he didn't have a ton to work with. And then, of course, the offensive line has gotten progressively worse over the time. But nonetheless, I think some of his flaws became more exposed this year once they did add more weapons, more notable weapons at receiver and, and running back. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have been – I'm not saying they, they're not justified in making a change. But I, like you said, I think I think it's a little bit of piling on at this point um, for, for, for sure. And as far as the, the notion of them saying, hey, this is what we want to do – I do think that one of my frustrations, having now watched this regime for the last three years, is that I'm not saying they're it, – it's it's weird. It's like the combination of their – it feels like they're both reactionary as well as stuck in their ways, if that, if that makes kind of sense. Like, I was – I always hate repeating myself because I feel like everybody's like, oh, dude, we, we get it already. But, like, you know, last year I was like – you know, during the pre-free agency cycle, I was I was saying I think they're going to add another running back, and people were kind of telling me, "Well, what are you talking about?" But that was partly because they had just in that previous season their bet their four game winning streak was when the run game was working. It was a ball control offense, but Antonio Gibson was just it's not his deal consistently. Thus, they were going to add someone else. And now at the end of this year, what did Ron Rivera say? He said that last year, meaning in 2021, this was something that they thought was working for them, and they should do it. That doesn't seem to me to make a ton of sense. Just because it worked in that moment doesn't mean that should be the philosophy. But because it did work, therefore, it must be a thing to do. And and we've seen him kind of go down that path a few other times as well since he's um, been here. Always, always mentioning things that happen in Carolina as opposed to here's what we have now with this team. Here's what we are now. Here's what our thinking is. Here's where the NFL is, whatever, whatever it might be. And so to your point of, if they're telegraphing, they want to be a run first team to this, you know, to, to some degree here. And is that, you know, kind of limiting your options with the, with OC candidates or kind of telling the OC candidates, your hands are going to be tied if you do come here. I don't even know if I believe that that's actually the case. I just believe that's what they're saying in the moment and thinking because that is where their head has been at. And there were also times during the season where it seemed to be pretty apparent that Rivera and Turner were not on the same page with the with this run first thought. There was that game, um, was it the first Giants game or the I always forget, but the the game where Brian Robinson only had twelve carries but averaged over seven yards a game was one of the Giants games, and I think it was about that time I asked Rivera, "What is your what is your offensive identity?" And he brought up the idea of running more, but then he tacked it on by saying at the end of it, "In my opinion." And that always stuck out to me because I'm like, dude, your opinion is all that matters. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, if you want something to happen, you can just make it happen. But it seemed to be at that point that he and Turner were not on the same page. So I don't necessarily know that like he's stuck in this mode, but th- but today it does feel like that. It could be flipped if he somebody says, "Oh, we've got a great idea," but I, I, at the moment, I, I you know, I, I don't know if anybody's hands are tied, but I do agree that this is where they're. I mean, clearly, this is where they're coming from at this point. Yeah, and and there's so much to talk. Like, uh, you know, I've heard this idea that if you're a run first team, why draft Jahan Dotson in the first round? You know, like, you know, I love Jahan. How could you not love Jahan Dotson when he was actually up there on the field? 
But like, if you are this run first team and you do have this idea of drafting Brian Robinson, well, you not that they knew that they were going to get him. You have to invest in the offensive line. This team has divested in the offensive line. They've treated the offensive line like I treated crypto. Like I'm get, I got out. I'm 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 off Bitcoin, all that stuff. I've been terrified by it. Um, and they they you know they I mean, there was someone who put the tweet out that on super wild card weekend, Morgan Moses, Braden Sheriff, and Trent Williams were all playing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't you know, see that, but that's a great, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. And they're all different cases. Um, we, obviously Trent was personal sheriff, just, yeah, he wanted a lot of money and he didn't really want to be here. And Morgan Morris is, you know, he's kind of bounced around since he left DC, but you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with run first. You just, you have to be really good at running and this team isn't very good at running even, you know, like they, they're lower on the yards for the carry across the NFL. Uh, they do it a lot, which is great, but you, you need to be more dynamic, which is, gets to the offensive coordinator selection, you know, and, and who really knows? Like we, it's hard to be like, okay, Pat Shermer, if he comes in, he's going to do this. If Studsville comes in, he's going to do this. You know, I the, like, I know this is kind of silly, but like the guy I would be interested in is Anthony Lynn, who's in San Francisco, who, even though he was, um, you know, he had problems as a head coach, in San Diego than the LA Chargers. I always thought that he had a dynamic run game. He always had the, he, his offenses always had really good running backs that average good yards per carry. And they got the ball to those running backs in space in the passing game. There was that time when he had, it was Eckler and Melvin Gordon at the same time. And I think it was Philip Rivers still a quarterback. And he was mostly just throwing to his running backs at that point, And they were getting big yards. And so, I don't know. I, I just wonder what they're looking for. They're obviously looking for some level of experience at the OC position. I don't disagree with that, but I, well, here, I, 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 here's the thing. I, I think the offense, for the offense to improve, it needs to improve at quarterback. It doesn't, it's not, the OC is not the thing that's going to solve the issue ultimately. Right. Well, so, so here's the dynamic here. I, I wouldn't say that Rivera is a lame duck, but he is in a bit of a limbo sort of spot here. For we, we, as we all know, the ownership situation is still out there. You know, whatever the reports are about Dan Snyder, going to sell it all. It's going to happen soon. Maybe he still doesn't sell it all. We don't know. Whatever that dynamic is, we'll get to that in a minute. But that is lingering over all of this because we don't know, based on everything that's going to potentially happen here, how long Ron Rivera He's going to keep this job. He's got two years left on the deal. That may not mean anything if a new coach comes in, or a new owner comes in, uh, whether it's in March or June or at, by, just by the end of the year. And therefore, we're, what, 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 in what mode is Rivera acting? And is he acting in, I need to figure out how to win this year, no matter what, or is he still, or is he planning for the long haul? I think realistically, I don't know how you're planning for the long haul in this scenario. And all the offensive coordinator candidates are not stupid. They're also aware of what is happening here, which is why, you know, I've been saying all along that don't, you know, whatever the big name offensive coordinator candidates you're interested in, they're not coming here. Right. I mean, the, the Chargers just fired their OC yesterday. That's the job they all want, right? Okay. You know, to, to coach 
Justin Herbert. And there may be a couple other ones that are more appealing if for no other reason, because there appears to be some sort of stability for a few years with going to Sean Payton staff, right? You know, there's a couple of like, if D'Amico Ryan's gets a head coaching position, can you be the OC for a new coach? Like where D'Amico Ryan's is a defensive coordinator becoming a head coach, right? You basically become like the ownership of the offense in that point of view. Right. And so, and even like, you know, and like if the Rams lose some people, you know, a lot of guys are going to say, oh, let me go to Sean McVay. Every time, you know, somebody goes to him, <laughs> they their their star automatically rises. So this is not an attractive position. I mean, there's I – mean, look, let's not forget the fact – we'll get to Sam Howell as well here, but, like, they don't have a quarterback right now. Not one that anybody's going. That, that, that team is definitely – you know, I want to go there. So they're not going to get anybody who's a particularly, um, w- you know, wildly attractive – OC, which isn't to say that a Daryl Bevel, who is one of the names mentioned, of course, couldn't be good. I'm just saying they're not going to get anybody that's being wooed by the whole league. To me, a guy like Pat Shermer fits the mold of what Rivera would look for. Rivera, who is much more of a CEO head coach than like a get in there for like, you know, all the detail kind of a head coach. He lets his coordinators have a lot of autonomy. Pat Shermer has been a two-time head coach. An OC all over the place, most recently with Denver in 2021. That's the kind of, and he and Rivera were on the Andy Reid staff back in the 90s, and we know that that kind of familiarity is important to Rivera. So the that to me is much more likely. And you know, he, and he's not going to bring in somebody who has no experience in this position. This is my opinion. I know they're interviewing a couple of people for that. I would be floored. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say never, but I'd be floored if he brings in somebody who's not done this before, because that's putting a big risk as the uh, head coach to, to, to turn over the offense to somebody who has not done this before. Um, even arguably a bigger risk than going with Sam Howell, because um, <laughs> while, you know, you could at least say, well, Sam Howell's a rookie and we'll see They're also going to add some veteran, whether it's bringing back Taylor Heineke or Andy Dalton, Jacoby present. So they'll have another guy if Sam Howell falters uh, for sure. But um but yeah, I mean, th- 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 that that is ultimately the debate here, and the issue is who is what. What is the vision? Is the vision just for this season, or is the vision for longer term? And I don't know how it can be longer term under the current circumstances. I will some optimism here. Okay? Oh boy, let's go. Think about the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator job before Dan Quinn got there. That team was one of the worst defensive teams in modern NFL history. Before Dan Quinn got there, Dan Quinn, who, you know, was a long time uh, Falcons head coach, but no one, you know, there's something that happens when you're a long time Falcons head coach who like him, like a co- head coach like him, who the success of the Falcons seemed to really lean on the offensive side of the ball and their defense was never that good, which was his territory. They were good because they had Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, what they had when they went to the Super Bowl. Um, Dan Quinn goes to Dallas you know, a fine hire at the time. No one was like fired up about it in Dallas. No one was fearing it in the NFC East. And Dan Quinn immediately turns that defense into one of the best defenses in the NFL, at least that season. And they're still pretty good right now. You know, they just ended Tom Brady's career in Tampa. And so like, even though you're saying Pat Shermer, you're kind of thinking like, oh, you know, these names aren't that attractive. I'm not saying the, the commanders are going to have a top five offense next year because they hire Pat Shermer and he's the Dan Quinn of offensive coaches, but you can hot, you end up like, there's a reason why Pat Shermer has been a two-time head coach. So he's a pretty smart guy. 
right? On some level, he must get across a level of intelligence and game planning that is impressive to a certain number of people for him to get the jobs. Is he the next Dan Quinn? I, I doubt it, right? But, you know, we you end up not knowing which assistant coaches are going to really break break through. The, the one the thing I will say is that the assistant coaches in recent memory who have broken through, it, it, there's no archetype. Think about Wink Martindale. You know, Wink Martindale went was really good in Baltimore, leaves Baltimore, goes to the Giants, helps the Giants a lot. You think about Ben Johnson in Detroit, who people wanted to potentially as a head coaching candidate. He turned around that offense. I never heard of the guy, ultimately. He was, I think it was like a tight end in the NFL. So, like, you know, a little optimism, Ben. You know, they maybe, maybe Ron and crew will find the guy and and sort of my hope as the, the fan on the podcast here is that they don't hire someone just because they knew him 10 years ago because well, they, they, they got to get outside their, that, you know, they, they got to get outside their circle of friends. They have to maybe dip a little bit into a mercenary type of person and hire them because they're actually good as opposed to, you know, they're on a text chain with them and they're talking about, you know, the latest episode of last of us on HBO, right? Like let's, right. Let's and stop being friends. By the way, I did. I just watched the first episode of The Last of Us. I really didn't quite know what it was, but uh, it popped up on my screen, and I heard people talking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not really a zombie kind of a guy show, but all right, it was interesting. I'm. I'm. I'm willing to stick it out. I also didn't know the video game, but uh, I didn't know the video game. I. I, I also like you last it, and it was like pretty disturbing. <laughs> and I. I really liked it. I mean, the opening twenty minutes is pretty. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. What? When, when there was a big turn, and I was like, oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Not not what I was expecting. Um. But um. Uh. Yeah. Look. I mean. I, I remember the, the first time I kind of realized the the about how like just because somebody fails as a head coach doesn't mean they shouldn't they they aren't still a good coordinator was Norv Turner, who obviously is considered to be one of the best offensive coordinators of all time, but really just not as a head coach left something to be desire but when he went back to being an oc at various points you know always did a really good job and you mentioned dan quinn dan quinn was like a really good defensive coordinator you know for seattle right so you know he he did a good job and he's done that again subsequently in his various spots he also has michael parsons and and you know some other guys like that my my biggest issue with a Shermer would be it's just a particular like you said before the idea of um being a run first team and you know a little bit limiting if you're putting somebody in that spot it's just a very old school i just feel he's a very old school situation i had somebody reach out to me who told me when when it came out that Shermer was being interviewed they were like oh boy dude i don't know i feel like he may be you know, a bit out of touch with where we're at but the larger point is we're independent of any of, the, of, of of that is like i said what's the direction of of this of this team and um you know we'll, we'll see We'll see where they go. I don't care if it's somebody who's a run first kind of a coach. And, and you know, the whole two for one run pass ratio, I, I told you guys that, that that's been overstated and blown out of proportion and not accurate to what was being attempted to get across um, from Martin Mayhew. Just in that particular game against Dallas, they were two to one, but like in that, no team does that. But it became a talking point because we're just looking to slam them forever, anything right now, because that's where the mood of this is anyway we'll get some more offensive coordinators here presumably candidates at some point i don't know necessarily of a time frame 
for this to get done. I will note that the Senior Bowl is the week of the 29th. I'll be down there in Mobile for that. You would think on some level you would like your offensive coordinator to be in place by then because the coaching staff will go down. Uh, Rivera did not go last year, but Scott Turner and Del Rio were there. So you would like to think, get this person in place by then. That would be at least at a sort of minimum for me of when to think something could could uh could happen um but let's swing over to the to the quarterback situation here i'm curious mm-hmm. your, your your thoughts on on this because you know to me you mentioned before i don't know how you phrase it but you said i think you're right that like scott turner kind of ultimately was like the fall guy here for the issues that went on not just on the offense but just the team as a whole somebody needed to go because something had to change and Scott Turner took that hit. And it does give you an attempt at a narrative flip, even without being ever said, you know, kind of look over there. That's kind of where the issues are. But then the Sam Howell news that they are telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam Howell is the likely QB one. And, you know, I have now heard this as well. That to me is the, the ultimate narrative attempt switch. It makes zero sense in mid-January to say who your quarterback is when when you're talking about a guy who has one career start and he was a fifth round pick. And I like Sam Howell. I've I've liked him at Carolina. He of the quarterbacks in this last class, he and Pickett were the two that I thought were the most interesting. Kind of thought I had a sense that they liked Desmond Ritter a little bit, but maybe not. Um, but but those were the two guys that stood out to me. But to suggest that he could be he's he could be the likely QB one, mind you. The week before, they had told Taylor Heineke, "You will be starting the last game," only to then switch it. And there was, I know, lo- some notion out there. Logan Paulson talked about this that maybe not everybody in the organization was convinced that Sam Howe was ready to go from any of that to he's the QB one. That is just a lot of talk to me. I'm not saying it's not a, a, a potential option. I'm not even saying it's the worst idea. But just everybody relax about this idea that Sam Howell is the de facto starter. I've seen that being thread out there. It's not what anybody said, nor do I imagine it's actually the case. But what, from your perspective, as a, as you said, you're the you're the fan voice in here. What what, what, <laughs> what what was your view of hearing that Sam Howell is the quote unquote likely QB one going into the uh, pre, uh, off season workouts? Yeah, it's like I couldn't believe it. I, I I couldn't even allow myself to to venture the idea that. Everything you just laid out that they were going to start Taylor Heineke. And then because they realized they finally, after a few days after the game, realized, oh, we won't make the playoffs, even though they should have known that they wouldn't make the playoffs if they on that second Sunday before the season ended. Um, you know, and here to me, it really indicates the fact that they know they're going to cut, cut Carson Wentz. I mean, that's nothing significant. Oh. If, they, if Carson Wentz is on this team, I have no clue what's happening. I quote everyone tweet, should be fired. <laughs> my my tweet that said that you know confirming that they're telling Sam Howell, they're telling teams or coordinator candidates Sam Howell is the likely one. I quote tweeted that and said, um, "Say you're releasing Carson Wentz without saying you're releasing Carson Wentz." And that's what that yes. that's a hundred percent what that was. And I don't think you can bring back Taylor Heineke because you have not because Heineke's bad or Heineke doesn't deserve to come back. But you've now, for two seasons, have decided Heineke isn't good enough as our starter. 
And as great as a backup, I think he's a fantastic backup. I think there'll be teams in the league interested in getting Taylor Heineke in as their backup because he's the ultimate guy you can come off the bench, win you a couple of games, runs around, makes plays, people love him. All Everything we love about Taylor Heineke, he is that, right? But as a team, you can't just keep having this guy in your locker room, keep throwing him out there, he wins games for you, and then he plays three bad games or two bad games, and then you realize, oh, yeah, there's a limit to him. Um, and also the reason keeping him was because of his knowledge of Scott Turner's offense. It's going to be a completely new offense, right? Everyone, The reason why we all love Taylor Heineke was that he knew that playbook better than anyone who was playing quarterback. Um, he does. He won't. He'll be in the same place as Sam Howell and other people if there's there will be a new offensive coordinator. I don't think Taylor Heineke can come back. I think there'll be interest for him around the league for some team to want to pick him up. You know, he's better than half of the backup quarterbacks right now anyways. So to me, the indication of Sam Howe was basically an understanding. I mean, you know more about this than I do. To me, I interpreted it as we know Wentz isn't coming back. And we think that there's a good likelihood that Heineke isn't going to come back because we as a football staff have made a decision. He's ultimately not good enough. And they also probably from a roster construction standpoint, do they really want to carry three quarterbacks again? Because it can't just be Howell and Heineke going into the season. If they're going to keep Howell, it should be Howell and draft pick X or free agent signing X, right? Yeah. And so just from a roster construction standpoint, I think Heineke's gone and Wentz, I mean, he's gone. Let's, yeah. You know. Well, so and to that point, I, I like roster construction thoughts. So my, I was, I, I wrote this the other day that, if they really are willing to say that Hal is the likely QB one, or at least, you know, they're saying they're going to give him a real shot. I could see Heineke being the backup in that scenario. Heineke's pretty realistic with his uh, status in the league. He's thrilled to be part of the situation. He really likes it here. He's a Sam Howell believer. And I don't think he would have an issue taking any kind of initial backseat to that but to your point if they then also want to bring in another veteran something in the heineke level whatever then heineke is likely the third string and at that point he would be out i think that by signaling the sam howell situation here they're also telegraphing we are not looking to draft at this point a quarterback high in the draft but i wouldn't preclude them from drafting one in on day three so at that point you could keep a third guy and have another lottery ticket. I personally advocate for that strategy all the time, but I think to your broader point, Ron Rivera has now multiple times determined that Taylor Heineke is not the answer. And if you had a legit starting quarterback, proven guy, you know, so we, we knew who this person was, you know, I had the healthy Alex Smith, whatever, you know, then keeping Heineke would be would, would be fine. We know he can come out and play well and play and, and, and win. But if you're going into this situation with a guy like Sam Howe, who is a complete flyer at this point, you and meaning you may very well have to go back to somebody else. Are you really going to go to Heineke when you've already said multiple times you don't think he's the guy? So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it would be fun to have Taylor Heineke back. Everybody in the locker room likes him. He's obviously a fan favorite, but it, it does feel to me like this is a kind of time to move on uh, situation. But, you know, we'll see what the market looks like uh, for both in terms of the, the options as well as in terms of the money. And and also to just one quick thing to think about. So let's say they hire Shermer. They hire 
Studsville, they hire whoever it is. There's probably a backup quarterback in the league who played under those offensive coordinators or offensive coaches who that OC likes. That is their Taylor Heineke, who they may want to bring in as being the veteran complimentary guy. So like, you know, there's, I'm trying to think about who was the quarterbacks. It's like Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, I think were the quarterbacks in Denver, maybe at the time that Shermer was there. It just, they're, they're all the, the new OC is going to have a guy who knows the offense. So they're going to want to, well, like, like, like if it is like say a Daryl Bevel or Stud Russell Bennett. Wilson, are you saying Russell Wilson's coming in? <laughs> I am not saying that. Um, but like Teddy, but Ted, Teddy Bridgewater is currently on Miami. So like to use that as an example, like that would be the kind of guy who's in that tier. And, you know, you know, he's had injuries this year and I don't, you know, Bevel he's had injuries every year. <laughs> right. right. It feels but, you know, those guys may have their own system. that's different than what Mike McDaniel is doing, but independent of that, I do think it's uh it's interesting. Um, yeah, all, all that said, I mean, I, I think, and again, this is the part that is frustrating about this team right now in that we just don't know what direction they are headed in. If you told me, you know, watching the playoffs the other day, Jacksonville in particular, you got Trevor Lawrence, who I'm not comparing to Sam Howell, the fifth round pick versus the guy who was, you know, the the, the, ne- the next Peyton Manning we've heard for three years. Sam Howell was more productive in college. So it's, yeah, it's unfair to compare Trevor Lawrence to Sam Howell. Fair, right. fair, fair enough. Um, but uh, because Trevor Lawrence is on a rookie contract, you know, they were able to go out and spend a lot of money this offseason on the people like Brandon Scherf and Christian Kirk and whatever. And independent of what anybody thought at the, at the time these moves were made, they upgraded their talent, even if they overpaid in some cases, whatever, they upgraded their talent. And we're able to build a better team around this guy. And that's what uh, someone like Sam Howell offers them. He His salary for this year is less than 900000 which, you know, you and I would take. But for NFL purposes, that's nothing. So it does give them the opportunity to take that Carson Wentz money coming off the books, give it to Deron Payne, to go out and sign a veteran offensive lineman, maybe to, to re-sign Cole Holcomb or whatever. If you do that, and and the rookie court and the not the rookie, but the the quarterback on the rookie deal shows he can be solid, well, that goes a long way towards really helping your team. So I do think this is a fun opportunity, but again, it's sort of to what end because it's not like we don't know for sure Ron Rivera's future, and that's the part where it becomes a bit more uh, frustrating. And by the way, with the downside being, it would be a, you know in the lottery, as it were. And that's obviously your typically best shot to get a quarterback for the, you know, in the next draft. That's not a bad place to be either. But again, that Ron Rivera is probably not the coach if that's the case, unless Snyder or a new owner comes in and says to him, Hey, no, no, you're good no matter what. So that, that's, that's not what, happening then. <laughs> well, if, if they're in the top five, if they're a top five pick next year, they are not, he's gone. Like there's, cause there's no, there, unless if some, there's some, awful injury situation across the team where it was like everyone just gets hurt and it's completely understandable yeah so i understand what, i know you weren't saying that that was going to happen but well, if they're also, a top five pick next year that he's gone totally and that's and, and it's 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 obviously strong logic we have all made this point but i will just note that typically in this scenario you would not be getting rid of a coach who's considered to be one of the most respected and popular figures in the entire league and you know as we all know ron rivera's team's have had 
a winning record in only three of his 12 seasons. And yet, I guarantee if you went out and asked people league-wide who are some of the better coaches in the league, I think Ron Rivera's name still comes up to an extent. And I'm not saying he's a terrible coach. I'm just saying the record is what it is. And yet, so that's the only reason I'm saying, like, could Ron Rivera talk somebody into something? Perhaps, but we'll see. Um, what um, what else here? Oh, you we, we, we said we would discuss... The ownership thing, since we've sort of teased it a little bit here. I'm excited to do so. <laughs> and I, I have a bit of news for you. Oh, you do? That's, well, what do you, what are you, are you throwing your hat into the ring? No. <laughs> yeah, my, all my Bitcoin. So when I talked to you that I sold my Bitcoin, it's because I'm going to buy the team. No. So this is small. So I think JP Finley had some reporting. Uh, JP Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Of course, everyone knows JP um, around that, like Josh Harris is potentially viewed as the front runner, uh, Josh Harris, who owns the 76ers. Uh, he owns the New Jersey Devils. He is from Chevy Chase. Uh, he is a, a, a wrestling Hall of Fame, college wrestling Hall of Fame-er. Uh, I think he wrestled at 118, according wow. to the Wrestling Hall of Fame. I did some research. Today, there was a press release coming out. This is a minor thing. But that Josh Harris and David Blitzer, Blitzer's the guy that Harris also owns the 76ers with they are making a they are complete strategic investment in ripkin baseball in cooperstown all-star village it's basically they're investing in cal ripkin's baseball blah 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 uh cal ripkin has a baseball business for youth athletes and stuff like that i just bring it up to say it's another local connection for josh josh harris in this area uh two of the baseball teams in this area are one is potentially up for sale in the nationals and may not be the Orioles. I'm sure you saw the Dan Connolly. Uh, is it John Angelos? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dan Connolly, our, our Orioles writer for the athletic. Uh, he and the owner of the, the, the Angelos family owns a team, but like the sons are running it because the, the Peter Angelos is of not great health. Um, and it was a pretty heated conversation, but because the owner was a bit of a, yeah, bit of a schmuck about it, about you know, whatever. Anyway, but yeah, so he the, was, he was a jerk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've been in a lot of, I've been a lot of press conferences in the political realm, and you've been a lot of press conferences in the sports realm, and and so we don't have to get into it. But basically, there's always a rumor that the Orioles are going to sell that yeah. Angelos family is going to sell the team. Okay, so Josh Harris, Josh Harris tried to buy the Denver Broncos. He's he's. I know this is a small thing, this Ripken baseball thing. I find it interesting that it is a local entity that he is investing in and helping grow into more of a national entity. He's constantly interested in buying NFL teams. Um, there was a story from 2020 where in Forbes, where it there was uh, a, talked about how Josh Harris is ultra motivated to get an NFL team, partly so that he can, now, I don't think he would do this with the commanders, but take the team to London, make it London's team in some way. Um, now, you know, that what's worse, having Dan Snyder, but having a team or having Josh Harris and not having the team? I don't think Josh Harris would really take the team to London, but that would be maybe part of the future. And part of the appeal of the commanders is to say, you know, we're going to be in London at least one home game a year. You know, it's D.C. to London, internet, you know, the international connection, all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, when I ask you, Ben, you're around the team all the time. 
the fear for fans like myself is that we just don't have any faith that Snyder's going to actually do this. That, he's, that that he has set the bar so high on price that that is going to be his sort of um, excuse that, oh, no one has met my price. So until someone does, I'm not going to sell. W- what are we supposed to think? Are, are, are we supposed to have any level of confidence? There's also the reports that Bezos has not submitted an offer and that we know the Snyder family would not really want to sell to Jeff Bezos. If you put a number on it, if you had a prediction, what are we supposed to think? Yeah, well, look, I think from this whole, the whole time, from the moment that we heard that they are exploring their financial options and thus led a lot of people to assuming that they would sell, I mean, my view has always been I'm not assuming anything with Dan Snyder based on how he operates. Absolutely not. Now, all that said, everything is seems to be trending towards him selling. You know, plenty of people who are in the know in ownership circles seem to believe that and have reported as much. But look, is there like you know, he is so um stubborn is the wrong word, but so obstinate at times in the normal realm of what uh, not this, but just the the, 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 world. the owner of the well, just being the owner of the of the team that you know when when he would be when Jim Ursay comes out and says something about him when the when there's a report about uh behavior but with him or the organization you know he immediately would come out with a, some sort of a statement saying how dare you basically say anything about me x y or z right was uh, you know and possibly like one scenario here is he's doing all this and eventually says you know what I don't care what you all say. I'm not selling. You guys want to vote me out, vote me out. I'll, I'll dare you to do it, but I'm not going to. Again, I'm not saying uh, to me right now, I would think he would sell. Uh, I think the, you know, every time there was another report, Dan Snyder X investigation, Y, you always heard, oh, here we go. This is it. And, uh, you know, I, I, those things never seemed to bother me in terms of Dan Snyder. It always came down to with the owners vote him out and i know there's been some progress over in that front ever since ursay made his comments public about possibly forcing him out but we're voting him out but we'll see but the money aspect to me is probably the bigger the bigger deal we've talked about it here with some of my colleagues before that you know he he buying out those minority partners took up a lot of money he had to get debt waivers from the league I think that I think at some point here that 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 is all coming due and he's going to have to pay for that. And I think that's where we're leading here. And that's why I have I wouldn't say confidence, but that's why I would believe he's still going through with this sale. But again, we'll see. I I would not I would not put all my chips down on that box uh, until it happens. One one thing and I don't think the NFL would ever want this. But one thing I could see happening is a situation. situation where josh harris buys and or, or whatever the percentage breakdown is where harris is the majority owner and over time harris continues to buy out snyder at an ever-increasing price because these values are going to continue to increase which basically is like it's a, basically is like snyder gets to keep part of the team and keep kind of holding the team hostage but he gets the political cover of having uh harris in front of him obviously he would miss out on all the fun because if you're not the majority owner you don't get to 
be on your yacht picking draft play, picks, right? They don't. That's the most fun thing in the world. And honestly, I know people make fun of Dan Snyder for being on his yacht and calling in draft picks, but how much fun would that be, Ben? If we had that opportunity to be on a yacht and to actually... I, I am thrilled to do fantasy football draft. It must be so thrilling to do an actual draft. So I don't know. I, I find it all very compelling. Um, Josh Harris is a really prominent name in sports, in sports ownership. Um, he Dude has a lot of money. He's from the area. Uh, and it would obviously be a seismic change if he could take over and then maybe put a stadium in D.C. But yeah, I, 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 worry, I worry what you talked about that the number is so high that that basically no one can meet it besides Bezos and Elon Musk. And I don't think Elon Musk is buying the commanders. Yeah. So I'll, to go back to some of these potential guys, look, ultimately, it's, you know, most, it, most likely it will come down to who makes the largest bid Bezos aside that, that to, that's probably going to be the deciding factor for who it is. I have my, my view, and this is a take, this is not a sourced opinion, from the beginning has been I would take the field rather than taking taking Jeff Bezos. Uh, look, for all I know, Jeff Bezos, this is his hopes and dream. He wants to buy the, the team. But, like, whereas, like, Josh Harris has been in the mix before, has Be- I don't think Be- Bezos ever has, right? It's just always been Not speculation. So the we're, it feels like everybody's just assuming that this will, will, will happen. And they're partly assuming here because he owns the Washington Post. There's been some reports out there he may, I believe, that he may move on from the Washington Post. Um, I don't know if that's accurate either, but it feels like these things are very... And I know Amazon has headquarters here as well. I don't think he's getting rid of Amazon, but I I, I, I don't... I mean, to this point, all the, I don't know that there's any real reason to think Jeff Bezos will definitively do it other than to... And I know he met with Jay-Z and all that stuff, and again, maybe it happens. He's the one that can say, look, $8 million or $8 billion, whatever... And let's get this done. But until it happens, it happens. But people like Josh Harris have been aggressive in this uh, pursuit for other teams. And just recently with the Denver Broncos, thus it makes sense to think that that would continue. And then on top of it, he is actually from here. Um, I have heard to to some degree that that Todd Bowley, who's another guy who's from here, he owns the he's a you know the, the Chelsea and the EPL and the Dodgers. Um, the LA Dodgers that he is n- no longer in the mix. I'm not reporting that, but I have heard that and it's been out there by others as well. Uh, so Josh Harris is the one that I was always kind of looking at from the local perspective. So to me, that would make a lot of sense, but you know, a long way to go. We're obviously talking about crazy money and um, you know, beyond that, you know, anybody who wants to say who they want, I will just remind everybody that everybody wanted Dan Snyder back in 1999. He was the local kid. He was the fan of the team, young guy, you know, give you some energy as opposed to the cooks who were, you know, felt very like a, you know, stated, uh, stately uh, kind of, kind of a family, get some new blood in here. Obviously that worked out uh, the way that it worked out. So uh, I, I don't know who would be good, but at least in the Josh Harris case, you know, it does seem like, you know, they've uh, good job is all relative, but I'm not hearing of any, tire fire situations with the Sixers and the Devils unless I'm uh missing something on those fronts and and, and so we'll, we'll see and in terms of the timing of this I mean I've heard that th- this could be progressing at a pretty good rate but I, again I 
March is the NFL owners meetings. I think that's when a lot of people are speculating that it could get done by early. Maybe hoping I'm not going to say that. I think so many variables here could be in play. Um, so I, I don't know, know when this will, will happen. This of course does tie into what we talked about earlier with Ron Rivera and anything he's looking to do. The longer it goes with uncertainty at the ownership position, the harder it is to, uh, plan to a degree, but, sure. uh, but yeah, I mean, I I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't think it's anything's gonna happen. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. I have heard it could go quick, but at the same time, I, I'm speculating on the timing of this is is equally, uh, you know, rough for me to do. I'm I'm I wish I could be in a time machine, go six months into the future, and just just to see what would happen because I, I I'm still not exactly um, hopeful. You know, I just think it's a lot. It's a lot to even comprehend the fact that Dan Snyder would sell the team. Uh, but, you know, I'll keep waiting. And I, and I, one, one quick note is like, you know, if you think about Josh Harris and he's on, he's on other professional sports teams in leagues with owners who are the same in the NFL, meaning, you know, there are NBA owners who also own NFL teams. Um, and now there's EPL owners, which he owns Crystal Palace um and hockey owners so like he's he's in the world already he's in the world of these people the people who own nfl teams i'm sure they would approve of him immediately because they already know him and how he operates and you know we'll see we'll see uh, it, it would be very exciting if he could come here and then maybe he'll do what snyder did and bring in his version of Deion sanders and bruce smith and jeff george and how exciting would that be if the commander signed and I'm trying to think of the modern day equivalent of those players, but Bruce Smith, Von Miller, maybe old injured Von Miller to be Bruce Smith. Well, I mean, uh, look, I mean, Tom Brady, I mean, he needs a Tom new, Brady. He needs a new job, right? Von Miller and uh, Patrick Peterson. There you go. They, 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 there you go. Look, uh, Tom Brady went to a team the last time who had offensive playmakers and a strong defense. I mean, you, well, you can make that, that argument you, here, right? You know, if Tom Brady comes here, it's a Michael Jordan in the wizard situation. There's he's going to get a slice of ownership and all that stuff. And it's, you know, I know he can't have it as he's a player, but I'm sure he'll get that would be the only reason he's coming to D.C. Independent of what people think of Tom Brady's football level, I would take a year of Tom Brady as a reporter. I'm I'm all in on uh, on that situation. Sam Howell or Tom Brady, who would win that battle in camp, do you think? Ooh. Boy, <laughs> well, based on their each of their last games, I guess I would say Sam Howe. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, Mike, I'll let I'll let you go back into the wild. Appreciate it, uh, of course. And you know, I mentioned it at the top, and I'll say this in the intro, but you know, Mike is in charge of so much of the audio uh, products here at the Athletic, and he did this great narrative podcast uh, last year about uh, Andrew Luck that I encourage everybody to go listen to, but it's also pertinent because obviously we see with the Colts, they are still struggling to find a quarterback. Same story goes on here. It's not as easy. It's obviously not easy to, to figure it out, but um, it's a good insight into um, what that organization has gone through and, 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 and so on. And, you know, I, I don't know what the audio uh, podcast or the, 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 uh, the podcast that you could do for this franchise, but if I, I would, I would think there's gotta be some options if you <laughs> we, ever want to go down that route. We've thought about it. Uh, it's just too depressing. <laughs> who would, who would want to, who would want to watch or listen to that? You know, it's too, too sad. It, it, uh, I, we, great. we have a whole series about the New York Knicks being awful for 20 years 
that's still a little bit happier than uh, this team. But hey, you know, something maybe uh, when the new ownership comes in, it'll be the dawn of a new excellence era. They, they, there you go. Um, my guy, I definitely appreciate it. Good catching up. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, man.